We have been looking at some of the great battles of the Bible, and maybe one of the most familiar to us is the story of David and Goliath. And we turn then to 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to read part of this uh, chapter. 1 Samuel 17, beginning at verse 1, and we read in Jesus' name. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soka, which belongs to Judah. And they camped between Zoka and Azekah in Ephes Damin. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah, and drew up the battle array to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against, and, against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. And jump down to verse 31. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we are grateful today that Jesus Christ is the ultimate giant killer. He is the one that gives us victory today, and thank you, Lord, for this event that took place in the life of David that illustrates so clearly who Jesus is and what He did for us and how we can experience that great and wonderful victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. For we pray in His name. Amen. My uh, grandfather was a very great storyteller. And one of the stories that he liked to share with the neighborhood kids was this story of David and Goliath. And he was one who did all the actions. You know, he would take the sling and round and round and round and round. And, 
And then he would pretend that the stone was flying through the air and he would always choose one of the neighborhood boys and he would say, and that stone scuffed him right on the bean, he would say. And he would take his, his hand and he would kind of bounce it off the forehead of the kid and, of course, he would go down. And The only sad thing about it is that when, they told the, when he told the story, they always, one of the kids always wanted to be Goliath. Can I be Goliath? Can I be Goliath? And he'd say, you don't want to be Goliath. You want to be David. You want, me, want to be on the winning side. Well, this story is such a well-known story that it's often used even in the sports world to describe the underdog defeating the great team, a David and Goliath event. But you know, this is much more than just a good story. It is an event that actually took place. It's not just uh, some kind of a fairy tale or children's story. And as all of Scripture does, this event points us to Jesus. Just as David battled a great enemy and won a great victory, so did Jesus. Jesus is the real giant killer. We could say He's the ultimate giant killer. And by faith, today, we can enter into that victory. Notice, first of all, a battle against a great enemy. It's obvious that the writer of 1 Samuel wanted to emphasize the size of David's enemy because he goes into such great detail to describe both Goliath and his weapons. In fact, one author says that this passage presents the longest description of military attire in the Old Testament. No, I haven't checked, read through the whole Old Testament to see if that's exactly the case, but I would take his word for it. A very detailed description of this man and his weapons. Six cubits in a span. That's how tall he was, which was probably about nine feet, nine inches tall, somewhere around there. I've got a son-in-law that's uh, six foot nine. (laughs) And when you're on the basketball court with him, he's kind of a daunting figure. Add three feet to that. Kind of put it in perspective. Here, in our gym down there, Goliath would get his, his head caught in the net of, of the basket. That's a big, big man. His armor and weapons were very large and very heavy. According to verse 5, the armor which covered him weighed about 125 pounds. That's more than some of you weigh. It's about one leg of mine, but uh, more than some of you weigh. The head of his spear weighed about 15 pounds. And I did a little research and found out that the typical shot put for a high school boys track meet, I think, is about 12 pounds. So you take, you know, you know how they have to heave those things. Can you imagine taking, what, a a spear, a 15-pound head on it, and actually throwing that? Besides that, Goliath had some kind of shin pads on his legs, a helmet on his head, a javelin in his hand. Can you imagine how intimidating this man was? Big. And the armor that he was wearing made him look even bigger. It's no wonder the people of Israel were frightened. So why do you think the author goes through all of this detail in describing Goliath? I think the purpose of this is 
to illustrate that, at least humanly speaking, David was no match for this man. From the perspective of the soldiers in both armies, there was no way that this little shepherd boy was going to conquer this big giant of a man. If you haven't realized it already, you are in a battle that you cannot win in your own strength. You have an enemy that is much greater than you are. It is the devil himself, the forces of darkness. Humanly speaking, your enemy is greater than you can overcome. And apart from God's work in your life, you will experience fear and defeat, just like Saul's army did. And so we are in need today of the grace and mercy and power of God. We have an enemy of our soul that seeks to destroy us. A battle against a great enemy. The second thing we notice is that this was a battle of great consequence. The challenge that Goliath placed before the people of Israel wasn't just a personal challenge of one man against another. If that were the case, then the consequences would be great for just one man. Whoever lost the battle then would would pay the price. But the challenge that Goliath placed before the people was much greater than that. In verses 8 through 10, he places the challenge before them. And he says, if you, you, you bring one against me, choose a man for yourselves, let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if you win the battle, or if we, I win the battle, then you will become servants of mine. And so the stakes of this battle were very high. And that's why verse 11 describes the reaction of the people of Israel as being dismayed and greatly afraid. The future of the entire nation was at risk. If the battle was lost, the people of Israel would become slaves. And no one seemed to be willing to take such a risk. Now, to us, that might seem a little bit strange to think to have one man battle on behalf of the whole nation. And if you win, then they become your slaves. And it was probably viewed in the same way by the people of Israel. One author says the fact that Goliath is recorded as explaining the practice to the Israelites suggests that they had not previously participated in a contest like this, especially against a foe like Goliath. So one man, think of it, battling on behalf of the whole nation. David against Goliath. I would suggest to you that this is a biblical concept, isn't it? One man... Battling on behalf of others is indeed a biblical concept, and it starts right in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, there was a battle going on between Satan and Adam. And yet it was a much greater battle than this because the consequences of this battle are much greater than just Adam against Satan. It's clear that Adam was battling on behalf of all mankind because when he sinned, what happened? All of us were affected. All of us were sinners. Romans 5, verse 18, Paul says, Through one transgression, 
there resulted condemnation to all men. So it wasn't just a personal battle that Adam faced against Satan. It was a battle on behalf of us because he was our representative and we now are affected because of his loss. So the first Adam lost the battle and it affected all of us. But the good news is that there is another man who did something to affect us all. There is another man who battled on our behalf. And he won. And that is Jesus. That is the second Adam. So what the first Adam lost in the Garden of Eden, the second Adam won for us. And that is Jesus. And notice how Paul describes this in Romans chapter 5. Verse 15, he says, But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation, But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Verse 19, For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. See, the one man, the sin of Adam brought death to us all. But Jesus Christ, through that one man, through his life and death and resurrection, justification is given to us. Righteousness is given to us. Forgiveness is given to us. A battle of great consequence. And that's illustrated then in this battle of David and Goliath. It wasn't just David against Goliath. It was one man battling on behalf of the whole nation. We can be grateful that Jesus Christ battled on our behalf. He won the victory for us. So the third thing we notice in this text, that is a battle with a great outcome. A battle with a great outcome. If you look at how the Philistines viewed the battle in our text, they saw it simply as the Philistines against Israel or their champion Goliath against whoever, some loser from Israel. But it's interesting to notice how David saw this battle. He saw it in a much different light, didn't he? It wasn't the Philistines against Israel or Goliath against David. It was the Philistines against the armies of the living God and God himself. And notice how we see this uh, several times in this chapter. Verse 26, Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? This is not a battle against Israel. This is a battle against the armies of the living God. He saw it in its proper light. Verse 36. 
Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Why? Since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And verse 41, when David came against Goliath, verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. So in David's mind, this this wasn't just a military battle. This was a spiritual battle. And when you see the battle correctly, like David did, it makes all the difference in the world. He understood what this battle was all about. From everyone's point of view except his own, David was a very unlikely candidate to defeat Goliath. It seems as if he had everything against him. He was young, he was inexperienced, he had poor weapons, and wherever he turned, he, he got no, no encouragement whatsoever. I mean, think of it. Fellow soldiers, they are cowering in fear. What a poor example of a soldier they were to this young shepherd boy. His brothers, when he came, they said, go back and take care of the sheep. What are you doing here? And he comes to Saul and kind of like underdog. You know, there's no need to fear. Underdog is here. There's no need to fear. David is here. And Saul says, are you kidding me? You're just a youth. This guy's been battling for years. You, you can't fight him. Everywhere he turned, there was discouragement from others. But you know what? God had anointed David to be the next king of Israel. And he would be the one that God would use in this case to save the nation. He would win the battle on behalf of the nation. Doesn't that remind you of Jesus? Does that not remind you of Jesus? Think of it. His own brothers... They didn't believe in him until much later. His own people rejected him. King Herod wanted to kill him. The religious leaders envied him. Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? People of Nazareth scoffed at the idea that a carpenter's son would actually be the Messiah who would fulfill what Isaiah the prophet had written. So in many ways, Jesus was just like, like David. How would this one be the Messiah? How could the carpenter's son, someone from Nazareth, be the one? But Jesus faced the battle against Satan and death, and he he was victorious. As the anointed one who came to save the world, he brought victory to those who put their trust in him. By his death, he defeated death. And now we are free. We enter into that victory by faith in what Christ has done for us. M.R. Dehan, writing in Daily Bread many years ago, he said, One summer I was picking beans near one of my beehives, and some of the bees spotted me and supposed me to be the enemy. And their attack, two bees stung me and died in defense of the hive. He said they had only one goal, the safety of the others in the hive. So they gave their lives 
for the good of the many. Aren't you thankful today that Jesus gave His life for the good of the many? He suffered in our place. He became our substitute. Took our sin upon Himself. Won the victory on our behalf. We then can enter into that victory that Christ has won for us. That's the lesson we see in the story of David and Goliath. Jesus battled a great enemy. And He won a great victory for you and for me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for all that You've done to save us. You came to this world. You were born as a baby in Bethlehem. You lived a sinless life. You suffered and died on the cross. You rose again from the grave. And You offer to us today that wonderful victory over sin, over Satan, over death. You purchased it for us. And thank You, Lord Jesus, You offer that salvation as a free gift. Nothing we could ever do to earn it or deserve it. Simply to receive that gift of everlasting life. Lord Jesus, You are the ultimate giant killer. You are the one who has won the victory. And we praise You today for what You've done. We embrace that good news that Jesus won a great victory over a great enemy on our behalf. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.